Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code get100. That's code get100 at prizepicks.com/get100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This is a special episode of Red Inca. It is on a cricketer, writer, and commentator coming to grips with being all three, but not quite feeling like she belongs anywhere. So my name's Ananya Bendran, and I currently work as a program lead at Go Sports Foundation. I used to be a cricketer, um, part-time journalist as well, so been around the women's cricket space for 20 years now. We talk about her career in the under-19s, in the A, breaking down in the change room, her obsession with the South African cricketers, the phrase almost but not quite, also her anxiety and mental health struggles. There is a trigger warning for this episode. We do talk about people taking their own life. So if you have your own issues, please talk to a medical expert. Uh, you just casually threw out there that you used to be a cricketer, uh, you know, I mean, we all used to be cricketers in some ways, but what level of a cricketer were you? Because I think it might be slightly more impressive than uh, mine. <laughs> um, well, I played domestic cricket, list A, T20, first class for Hyderabad um, and the South Zone. And I also played for India A as well. So, yeah, played a bit of cricket, I think, over 15 seasons. Yeah. And it would be fair to say that from a young age, you threw kind of everything at being a, well, I'd say professional cricketer, but that probably didn't even exist when you started. But, you know, you, you wanted to play for India. You wanted to get as far as you could be the best cricketer you could. You, this wasn't a casual thing. You play, it wasn't like, you know, just on the weekends you played a game. You were legitimately trying to make it, uh, you know, as far as you could in women's cricket. Yeah, it, I, I mean, it is fair to say that, I guess. Like you said, um, when I started off, there was no concept of, 
professional cricket. Um, I started playing in 2005, um, four or five. That was just before the BCCI took over cricket in India as well. So we were still under the Women's Cricket Association of India. We paid to play essentially. Um, and I was at the time playing district level. So um, yeah, uh, kind of went from there to actually getting like a a, mat, a match fee, which was like 500 rupees. I'm not sure how that translates into dollars, but- um, It's not yeah, a lot. Uh, it's not a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's not a mm. lot of rupees either. So, you know, um, yeah. So went from that to, to getting paid a bit um, and just kind of stuck at it. I was uh, one of those people who I think my parents never expected me to, to pick cricket as a career. I think they always thought of it as, you know, being one of the things I did. Um, so again, I guess from the home side, I, I wasn't really pressured into, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those typical Indian families where you, if you throw everything at what you're doing, you know, everyone's like, oh, I need you to play for India at 16. I wasn't one of those. It was kind of a side gig. Um, but then, cause I threw everything into it and I had the dream of playing for India. Um, I guess that's what I did, but, um, side note, I, actually wanted to play for the Australian men's team when I started playing. So, you know. Well, I mean. Kind of got sidetracked That would have been that. tough. Um, what a story that <laughs> would have been if you if you'd managed that. But uh, it, you, you start to develop. Uh, when do you realise you're good? What do you get good at first? How does your career sort of, uh, you know, uh, blossom in that way? Um, well, I started playing, I guess, professionally or training professionally when I was 13, um, 13 or 14. Um started training with Mithali Raj's dad actually so she he was my first coach um and I think it wasn't until I was maybe 17 18 where I thought I'm kind of half good at, at this um I was under 19 captain at the time so I and I was also you know super confident I think most teenagers think the world of themselves so I was one of those very cocky teenagers you put a captaincy hat on me and I just thought you know I'm gonna be India captain next so uh, I think probably at 17 18 was when I thought I was kind of okay and I could you know really push to um, be part of the Indian team but I think in terms of when did I actually believe I could make the step up it was probably only at 22 and which was kind of late. But, you know. So, so you get to twenty two. You're uh, com- uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're a bit of an all rounder. Is that fair to say? Or, um, well, I actually started at age group level. I was a batting mm-hmm. all rounder. I transitioned to senior level as a bowler who could bat and and batted seven, eight, nine. Um, because we were the Hyderabad team was full of superstars, so I was essentially batting seven, eight, nine, um, and opening the bowling. Um, but then later in my career, I kind of became an all-rounder. I actually became an opening batter who opened or who bowled one change. So my career kind of did a flip. But at 21, I guess I was a bowling, a bowler who could bat. And, and so as cricket gets more professional and, you know, you're, well, you as an adult at this point, not even your family, but you as an adult start to think there's something here. When does it change from being the side hustle gig or the, the bit of fun that you do and throw your life at? And when does it become everything to you um I guess it started to become everything to me maybe when I was around 17 because once I finished um I think once I finished kind of I mean most of my decisions around education became will they allow me to play cricket um you know will I I need to stay in Hyderabad because I want to play cricket so I think all when all those choices um, centered around my cricket playing career was when I think I, I realized that this is what I wanted to do um, for the rest of my life. Well, for the 
for, for the most part of the next 10 years at least. Um, and I think that was around the time I was 17, maybe, when I picked a school that was in Hyderabad. Then I went on to pick a college that, it was in, that was in Hyderabad and that would allow me to play. So the school that I actually wanted to go to, I wanted to study history, um, but they didn't allow me to play sports. So then I went on and studied economics because they, they allowed me to play sports. So when those decisions kind of became cricket-centered, I realized that that, that was what I was going to And when do you sort of start to think more like a professional then? You know, you talk about the money starting to come into the game. I would have thought that probably, you know, through your early 20s, it's still fairly amateur with little, with little bits of money, and then it starts to become a little bit more professional after that. Is it your main source of income? Do you have other jobs? Uh, how, how do you kind of balance all that sort of thing? Um, so I think I was lucky that um, I, cricket was never really a profession for me. Of course, I, I trained um, like a maniac. I would I would start training at 6 a.m., um, do a fitness session till maybe 7.38, then take a little bit of a break and hit the nets and then come back and practice with the team in the evening. So I would train to be a professional, but it, it was never my main source of income. But I was really lucky that um, I... Could, I was able to write, so I found jobs um, and, and people who were willing to let me write. So my first job was with Wisden India, and I kind of played, um, I was part of the domestic circuit and also covering it, so that was kind of weird um, and interesting at the same time. But yeah, I think from um, the time I was, say, 20, maybe 22, um, I was doing a bit of freelancing, um, and then later on I started working and, and being a journalist alongside playing. So I found one of your other blogs where you write about a game in, in Pondicherry um, that left you in tears, which I'm not sure if it was the last game, but it was certainly one of the, the last games that you played. What age were you at this stage? What had gone on? Is this the sort of realization that you'd given everything and you weren't going to make it to the next level? Or, you know, what, what, what made you have that breakthrough in that game? Um, well, I think... I was around 28, um, 27, 20. I think I was 28 at the time. Um, and I'd had a couple of really, really good years. Um, I just moved into Sikkim to play as a professional. So that it was my last couple of years playing um, professional or domestic cricket in India. And uh, I think I think when I was around 26 or 27, I realized that um, I wasn't getting anywhere. Um, I remember... I think when I was 26, it was, um, or actually when I was 25, I, I got called into the India A camp um, and we had around 20, 24 people um, who were part of that camp, um, the likes of Jimmy Rodriguez, Harleen Diol, and that that group of up-and-comers um, were part of that camp. And I had had a really, really, really good season. Um, I was at my fittest. I think I'd um, done really well for South Zone as well. So I, I knew my skill was there, but I think around that time I um, was starting to have a lot of anxiety attacks, panic attacks, and um, I, I wasn't quite sure um, whether I was getting anywhere, um, which is strange to say because, like I said, I was at the top of my game. I think I was bowling as well as I ever had. I'd gotten called into an India A team. So I think you know, people recognized that I was doing well, but I think mentally I didn't feel like I was in a space where I could succeed. Um, and, you know, obviously I tanked in that camp. I did, I was terrible. Um, <laughs> and I, I didn't get picked for the squads. I had a very bad season that followed. And I think it was around that time where I just thought, you know, do I really want to keep doing this? And 
I shifted states hoping that a change in environment would would kind of help me, um, I guess, find that love again. Um, and I think I had I had two really, really good seasons. Like I said, I started off as a, bo- a bowling all-rounder. I, I went to Sikkim and, and ended up opening the batting. Um, I finished like in the top five run getters. I scored my first hundred. Things that I had never, ever thought I could ever do playing for Hyderabad, I had managed to achieve there. So I was still doing really well. But I think the game that I wrote about was, was my second season um, with Sikkim. Again, I was scoring heavily. I'd, I'd scored 100 in my first game and, and was, you know, consistently getting runs. Um, and I was captain of the side as well. But I remember just going through that season, wanting to go home. Um, I, I never wanted to be there. And that for me was very strange because I was always the one who was first to a training session, last to leave. Um, I, I always wanted to help my teammates. If anyone, you know, ever wanted an extra throwdown or something, I would always be there. And I read all that I could about cricket. I had all my all the books I owned were cricket books, and I watched every game under the sun. So it was very strange for me to feel for someone like that to feel like you know I just want to go home. I don't want to be here. Um, and I yeah, I think at at the game that I wrote about in particular was. Uh, a game where I had seen through potentially the toughest spell that I'd faced that entire tournament against a very good seam bowling attack. And then I threw my wicket away to some person who was bowling pies. Um, and um, all due respect. But yeah, I, I I kind of came back and I was in some ways relieved um, that I'd gotten out. Um, I would have normally been really angry with myself and, and you know, probably thrown my gear around and been a bit of a Nasir Hussain, but... I just kind of um, sat there and I remember pulling out my diary and just saying, I think I'm done. Um, And I think that was the point because I didn't feel any regret because I didn't, I was not upset with myself. um, And because the thought throughout the day was, I just want to get over with this and leave. Um, I think at that point I was just like, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, um, it, I think it's it's funny I say this because I, I actually still loved playing, um, but I just hated, I think, the environment around um, what I was feeling at the time. And I, I think the environment didn't help. But yeah, I think around the time I was 28, it was like, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm doing well, but I'm not, you know, getting picked for a challenger trophy or anything. So what's the point? Um, and I guess I kind of stopped being as ambitious as I was as a 17-year-old, thinking that I could one day um, captain India. I think I was becoming a little more realistic in that sense. So, yeah, I, I guess um, it was more, I think I'm done. I've given this a, a good go and I'm, I'm really not going to get anywhere. So I think it. I just became a bit more realistic and kind of, uh, yeah, at that point, I felt like I had no more motivation left. It's an interesting age because I know there's been, it, there was always, always this thing in English cricket that there were a lot of players who were quite often very talented when they were younger, a bit like you, who get to 28 and if they have a secondary job and they don't believe that they're going to make the next level or they've already made their next level and they don't think they'll get back, you see a lot of them leave. Um, I remember I was always shocked by it when I moved to, um, you know, uh, into English cricket because you're getting paid to play cricket. It's something that you love. In your case, you're very obsessed with it, even more so than some of these other people. But there, there does seem to be a a lot of cricketers hang on because there is no plan B, there is no plan C. 
And for you, the love of the game doesn't seem to disappear, but what disappears is your want to keep putting yourself in those situations. So as you're saying, the, the traveling schedule, that perhaps you play for two more years, um, you know, and hope that somehow the tide turns and everything else, whereas you see another option out there and you kind of follow that. Is that fair? Um, I think it did help that I had something else, but I think unfortunately for me, that something else was yeah. still in cricket. Um, <laughs> while it was writing, it was still, I was still in the environment. Um, so while it helped me get out of, I guess, the inner circle of that environment, it didn't help me get out of it completely. So I guess it was a double-edged sword for me, but it did, I, I think I, it was easier for me to leave one because... I hated being there, but two, because I knew that I had something else to follow, uh, follow back on, I guess. I mean, sorry, fall back on. But um, yeah, I mean, I've seen lots of people do one of the two. I, I, it's funny you say that I was, well, you obviously didn't watch me play, but you said that I was a very talented player. Um, true to God, I probably wasn't the most talented player in my batch of under-19 cricketers. I think I was one of the least talented players I potentially I think outlasted most of my teammates which is why I think I got as far as I did um but yeah I think I kind of just I guess lost um a bit of that motivation to keep um going at it and the fact that I could write um was helpful but in 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 hindsight it wasn't as helpful as I thought it was well I want to go on to this. There's there's something very interesting in the fact that you're someone who is it's very rare for someone at the same time to be on both sides of of the fence. And it's that's almost another podcast that we'll have to get to an, to another day because I I know professional cricketers who've done some writing before, uh, and I certainly know you know there's a few players who are you know played a little bit of first class cricket and then go on to be uh, you know uh, writers. But your crossover is a lot bigger and a lot deeper in that you were doing both at the same time for a consistent um, a period. So it is a little bit different from that perspective. But the other thing is you've, you talked about the fact that you're walking away from cricket, but actually you can't walk away from cricket because A, you're obsessed with the game and B, even to give yourself a break from cricket, you now need to get work and that best chance for you to get work is in cricket, right? Yeah, that's, that's precisely it. And I think... Um having been um, part of both sides, I think that was kind of my USP as a writer as well. The fact that I knew the people in the system, I knew how it worked. I could give um, somewhat of an insider's view. Um, I had easier access to the players than other journalists did. So I guess that was kind of something that um, uh, got me my my jobs, which meant that I had to continue writing about Indian cricket when that was um, in truth, the hardest thing for me to do because um, I just, I, it felt, um, it felt very personal to do because I, I knew all these players, I knew their backstories, but it also felt like I wanted to be that and I'm not, I am not that, but I'm having to to write about that. So uh, yeah, it was, it's, it was, I think while I was doing it, I found it quite hard um, to even try and be critical um, because I was writing about people who were my friends um, and who I was a lot of the time playing with. I remember I did an I wrote an article on Smriti Mandana and a month later she was my captain in a tournament. And so I, I was just constantly thinking, oh crap, I can't write anything, you know, bad about her because what if she doesn't give me another over and um, you know, all those all those kinds of things. So it was it was really interesting, but um yeah, it was uh I, I'm I'm 
I think I'm still kind of making sense of, of how I did it, but I guess it helps that I was part of the system and that's why I got a lot of the jobs that I did. But, so afterwards, when you finish as a player and you get to the point of, um, you know, you're, you're retiring from the game, you, you talk about feeling, you know, you talk about being in tears in the change room and uh, being frustrated with cricket. I think you used the word betrayed in there somewhere along the line as well. What brings you back to cricket to the point that you're now, you know, talking about it again? Um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, so I was working with Women's Cricket Zone for, um, I worked with them for a little over two and a half years, um, where because it was an Indian website, India was our main focus. Um, the, the women's team and, and you know, the, sorry, the international team and domestic cricket. So um, in that sense, I, I retired, I think, in 20 officially played my last game in 2020 just before COVID hit um, and uh, continued to work for women's Crick zone until the end of 2021. Um, so I was covering a lot of Indian cricket and like I said, through the time hated it, but, but had to do it because it was my job. Um, then I think in 2021, I, you know, decided that I needed a break. Um, but through that time um, for me, I think, Something that happened, I mean, I, I loved, I, because I loved the game, I continued to watch it. Um, so I think while I was still playing, I was one of those people who followed, like I said, every single game under the sun. Um, so I would log on to every website and try and, and look at scorecards and things like that. And funnily enough, when I was kind of doing really well, I was picked for India A to play against South Africa um, in 2014. And that was one of the teams that from that point became kind of the reason why I followed a lot of cricket afterwards um, and continued to follow it even through the time that I hated it. Um, so South Africa kind of became the reason that I stayed in the game, um, continued to follow the game. Um, a lot of my favorite players are South African. In case you follow me on Twitter, you know that I love Mignon Dupri and, and Marzan Kapp and and. Shabnam Ismail and I, I love that group of, of players and, and the way they play and what they've done for the game. Um, so that was kind of one of my hooks. Um, and I think the fact that I was so openly, um, I, I guess, so openly adored them, I kind of, uh, after I gave up um, my job in 2021, um, I got approached by Cass Naidu, um, who runs G Sport for Girls in South Africa, um, who then said, you know, I think you should write for us. There are a couple of World Cups coming up in South Africa. Um, you do like this team. You follow this team. You know them. Um, it would be nice if you could give a global perspective of South African cricket. Um, and I think that kind of, um, while I was desperately looking for a job through that time, it really helped that I actually got a job outside Indian cricket. Um, and I didn't have to be invested in the Indian team to make ends meet. Um, and that was a big, I guess, tick for me that I could take a step back from Indian cricket. I remember while I watched the World Cup, the 2022 World Cup and every single game that was in it, I wasn't watching the Indian team thinking I have to write a piece. Um, I was just watching the Indian team because I wanted to. Um, so that I, I guess that the opportunity to take a step back um, and not have to worry about I need to make ends meet was very helpful. Um, but also, I think 
I mentioned before that in 2017, when I was doing well, but kind of felt like I wasn't mentally quite there. Um, it was, again, the South African team that kind of made me feel like, no, I want to keep trying harder. Because if anyone remembers that 2017 World Cup, South Africa were kind of the story of that World Cup outside of Harman Bhutkar, of course. But um, South Africa getting as close as they did to get into a World Cup final was one of the things that I guess gave me a bit of a second win that I want to I want to give this another shot. Um, and then just following their, I guess, their rise through the next couple of years was really something that, that kept pushing me through. So 2022, I think take, being able to take a step back from Indian cricket, but cover South African cricket, cover a team that I absolutely, absolutely adored and loved and, you know, could then talk to their players more, um, just could watch a lot more of them and just, I guess be a little more invested and, and feel like I'm part of it um, was a big part of why I stayed in the game. Um, and I think apart from that also um, through that time, I felt like, you know, I, I was finding my love for the game again. Um, and I think aside from the South African team, it was actually the under 19 world cup that was, that was coming up. So one of the things that, I felt like I really wanted to do um, while um, during that year, I guess, was after I um, did a lot of stuff for G Sport for girls. One of the things that Cass and I spoke about was essentially maybe coming over to South Africa to cover the under 19 World Cup. And again, for me, that the link was, yeah, I get to go to South Africa. Um, and and then I started thinking, OK, how do I do that and, and what do I need to do? So I started covering a lot of Indian age group domestic cricket through the end of that year. Um, and I essentially followed this group of under 19 players all around the country from Hyderabad to Pondicherry to Ahmedabad, Delhi, Goa. I I, I went ev anywhere and everywhere that the under 19 players went um, just to watch them and to see whether that could potentially take me to South Africa. While I was doing that, I was pitching to a number of websites and, and other people to say, hey, I'm doing this. Do you need coverage of the Under-19 World Cup? And I guess through that, um, I got I got an opportunity to commentate for the ICC for the World Cups, which took me to South Africa, which then meant I met um, a lot of my heroes. I met Mignon there and it kind of, I guess the 2020, or sorry, the 2023 T20 Under-19 World Cup was the point where I felt like, I think I'm properly back as and I, and I feel like I used to feel again like I wanted to watch a lot of cricket like I wanted to be involved in the game so the hook was South Africa and then I found I guess other supporting structures along looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com 
slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Why do you think specifically the South African women's team obsessed you? Or, you know, why does Mignon become, I know Marizan is obvious, she's a superhero, but you know, what, what, what is it about those women that specifically appealed to you, especially as someone who was a pro herself? Um, well, I think, like I mentioned earlier in 2014, I was picked for the India A team that was meant to play a two-day game against South Africa. Um, that game didn't happen because South Africa arrived late, but um, because I was named in the squad and because I was a bit of a geek, I essentially looked at the squad that was there um, and, and tried to track down every single thing that I could about the 14-member squad. Um, there wasn't much at the time, of course, apart from a few random numbers on Info and a few articles in Afrikaans that I didn't understand. Um, but... Um, I guess those names kind of stuck with me. And then I watched that series um, from the grounds in Bangalore. And I watched Chloe Tryon absolutely massacre India in that first, I think it was the first game or the second game, I don't remember. Um, But she just started walloping everyone into the stands. And at that point, I'd never seen anyone hit like that um, outside. I think the earliest I'd seen someone play like that was Karen Rolton. And after that, in person, I hadn't seen anyone bat at that pace um, and, and just treat bowlers like with absolute disdain. So I think that was the innings that kind of made me think, wow, this is this is an exceptional team. Um, and then Marazan in the same game bowled a really good opening spell, um, which again, because she was a fast bowler, I was like, wow, this is, this is so cool. So that, I guess, was kind of the hook. Um, and after that, um, my first gig as a journalist was the, the 2016 well, T20 World Cup that happened in India. Um, and South Africa were play. I covered the, ga- the women's games in Bangalore and South Africa played a couple of games in Bangalore. Um, and they had a miserable tournament. Um, I think they only managed to beat Ireland. But um, I remember through those press conferences and Mignon came for all four of them. Um, she was just so incredibly positive and kind of um, just, I guess, was able to focus on the good things through the tournament and and was able to, was so patient. I mean, at the time, there were probably like five journalists in the press box and two of them were, no offense, men who didn't know anything and asked absolute stupid questions like, um, why is your jersey number 22? Or, you know can you please explain what and they just like, what did you eat for breakfast? They asked absolute like ridiculous questions. Um, and uh, she through those press conferences kind of just laughed it off and managed to still answer very, very nicely and politely. Um, and I remember after the last game, I asked for an interview with her and I thought, you know, she'd say we lost everything. I don't really want to talk to you. I just want to go home. And they were meant to leave at, I think, five o'clock from the hotel. She said, I mean, the manager said you can come at four, but just make sure it's short, not more than 20 minutes. Um, So I went and spoke to her for 22 minutes, I remember. And um, it was so amazing how through that time, um, 
through that interview um, where I, and I kept wondering, can I ask her about her form? It just feels so personal because I had had a really bad season as well. Um, I hadn't done really well in the previous season, got dropped from the South Zone team. So I was feeling like, you know, am I not good enough? Blah, blah, blah. And I really wanted to ask her a lot of those questions from a, from a cricketer's point of view. Um, and I remember writing my notes and thinking, maybe let's not go there. Let's not touch the form because she's very, she hasn't done really well. And she kind of maneuvered the conversation into that area. And, and she was very vulnerable, very honest about her struggles against spin, what she felt as a leader, how she felt very lonely um, and, and all those kinds of things. And I think at that point, um, for someone who was struggling, it was just incredible to see that people who I thought were invincible are actually human. And I think that was the point at which I just, I fell in love with Minyan Dupriya and, and realized that that's exactly how I want to be. And I think through that interview, again, while she was very honest about her own form and about her own struggles, she was just so positive about all her other teammates and and just knew exactly how the South African team needed to improve. She was, you know, looking at the, the smallest details and was very specific about what needed to happen for them to get better. And at that, at the time, I thought, you know, this is the perfect leader for this team. And that was actually the last tournament she was captain for. And she stepped aside. Um, and I felt very strange when she announced that because I was just like, wait, what happened? And it affected me more than I thought it would. Um, I was I was just thinking, no, this this can't be happening. She was she was perfect, and I think that was the point where I thought, yeah, I, I absolutely adore this team and the players, and I, just to see how much they cared about their country and and cared about their team and and each other. I think that was what really, um, I guess, stood out to me that that they were such team team people in a, in a sport that let's be honest is, is a very individual very kind of selfish sport so it was I think for me it was it was quite interesting to see um, someone who was just so in many ways kind of wanted to see everyone around her do as well as um, she did so yeah there are cricketers who I know who are massive fans of other cricketers and there are cricketers who I know who are obsessed with other cricketers and inspired by other cricketers and occasionally mention it in press conferences or, you know, m might mention it in their book or, or something like that. And, you know, through all sports, right? You are a very public fan of the South African cricket team in a way that almost reads more like someone who hasn't played cricket, right? There's no, there's no, and you know what I'm talking about when I say this, I'm trying to explain this to the audience, but you will get people who are massive fans of cricketers who are their age or even slightly older than them, but they know that if they make too big a deal of that, they will be made fun of and teased by their teammates and they'll be seen as, you know, I mean, the whole, Mike Hussey was called Mr. Cricket because he actually watched cricket. You know, I've seen David Warner make fun of other cricketers for trying to find cricket on, on a hotel TV before, right? You go well beyond that. And if I may say, slightly fangirl about the South African women's team at times, right? That's a weird place to be in for someone who was an Indian A player who, you know, is also quite well-respected through journalism and commentary and everything else. It, it's very, it's a very open uh, way of doing things. It's not particularly traditional how I would expect most professional athletes to be. Um, I've, I've got called out a lot, a lot for that before. I bet. Um, I absolutely... <laughs> 
I, I recently got an Instagram, a, a message on Instagram from one of my um, teammates um, from India, actually, who said, oh, um, I, I think it was in response to some post that I'd actually put out about an Indian cricketer who said, why are you tweet? Why are you um, talking about India? You generally just talk about the South Africans and you only like the South Africans. You should move there. And I wasn't sure whether it was sarcastic or, or whether she was, you know, joking or whether she really meant it. But uh, I've got called out a lot, um, especially recently. I think when I was playing, I think I kept it in check a little bit. Um, I wasn't as, um, you know, I, oh, I love this person. I love that person. Um, I did it, but maybe not to the extent I do it now. I think um, I have over the last year just kind of um, because um, I feel like with the South African women's team, uh, because, like I said, I'm I'm back in a space where I want to be um, within the women's cricket ecosystem. Um, I want to be part of this game and I want to continue to do what I'm doing. Um if you'd asked me two years ago or even three years ago, I, or actually even maybe in the middle of 2022, if you'd asked me whether I want to come back and be part of the women's cricket ecosystem, I would have said no. Um, and I think the reason I am back, maybe not working within working as a journalist, but I'm still in my own way trying to contribute to the Indian women's ecosystem through Go Sports Foundation. We started a a scholarship program for female cricketers in India. So I think just the fact that I'm part of the ecosystem and that I want to be actively um, watching and, and involved in um, the growth of Indian women's cricket, um, a lot of the reason for that is the South African women's cricket team. Um, and I think I'm at a, I feel like it's only right that I celebrate that. I've, I, I was never, ever... Or I don't think I'll ever be comfortable ever talking myself up or saying that, you know, I did this and I did that. But I feel I've always been the kind of person who likes to celebrate other people. Um, and I think the world needs to... I, I like to tell the world about the good things that these people do. Um, there are a lot of people who, because they lose on Dream 11, will, will DM cricketers and say, oh, you this and that and everything else. And um, I, I think it's sometimes nice to remind players and, and people that these guys have an impact beyond the field um, and it while I adore the Marazan Cup in swinger or, or out swinger or, or her, her ferocious celebrations and, and her incredible um, ability to, to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat I love all that I think um, what I love more is what she's been able to do for me without realizing it um, and, and allowed me to kind of find that drive and that, I guess, motivation again. So why not tell the world about that? I, I, I've wondered about it a lot. I sometimes post something and delete it within 20 minutes because I'm not quite sure how it sounds. And I realize, um, you know, maybe this is a bit too fancy, but there are times where I'm just like, you know what? I don't really care. So I think I posted that blog post at a time where I was like, you know what? I don't really care. I think I want want the world to know. I actually spent a very, very, very long time um, that sat in my drafts for a couple of months. Um, and I, I wrote it on the plane to watch the WPL final, actually. Um, and I watched the final with the most, I mean, 
I think I was the most present and the most happy I'd been at a cricket game in India, um, I guess, for, for the longest time. So at the time, it felt like a celebration of, of that. And I, I sat on it for a very long time and thought, you know, <laughs> I uh, why, why not tell the world? Because I, I feel like at some level, it's nice for when someone comes and tells me that, you know, I... I thank you for doing this. It feels nice. So, you know, why not celebrate the people who did that for me? And while they don't know me and they may just think of me as, oh, that crazy fan who keeps tweeting random stuff. Um, I'm okay with that, you know, but as long as you know that I I think very highly of you and, and I admire you beyond what you've done on the field. And it really means a lot to me that, that you're, that you're doing what you're doing. So while I, I guess it's weird and I know I can go a bit overboard, i I guess I'm okay with that as long as it's celebrating other people. And if it's the South African women's cricket team, it's it's just I'm definitely going to do it. So you know. What's the title of the article? Do you remember? Um, how South Africa saved my life. How much of that is journalistic uh, hyperbole and looking for a good title, and how much of that is is legitimate? Uh. Okay, I, I hope this wouldn't happen. I hope the article was a line in the sand. Um, look, I think it's a bit of both. Um, I mentioned the 2017 um, period and how it was, I guess, really difficult for me. Um, and I think at the time, I remember speaking to my coach and saying, I need a break. Um, and the the response I got to that was, how can you ask for a break now? You are at the top of your game. You are doing as well as you ever had. It would be stupid um, to ask for, to to take a break. You know, you you go off the radar. No one's going to think of you again. Um, and at the time, I was like, yeah, she's right. You know, I shouldn't be doing this because I was one of the first names on on the team sheet, and I was getting picked everywhere. Um, so I, of course, guilted myself into continuing it, and I. I remember through that period would attend practice sessions would would go a little early sit in the car cry um and come back home and uh i think i've never said this before but um through that period i remember sometimes driving and thinking maybe i should just crash into a pole um so yeah i guess um there there is a bit of hyperbole, but maybe not as um, much. I, I again, I, for me, this piece I thought was a line in the sand. It it is in many ways a line in the sand for me. Um, just accepting that all that happened. Um, but yeah, it it is the truth, and it's the truth that I haven't um, spoken to too many people about. But yeah, yeah I think. They did. They did say that. Are you okay? Is there anything else you want to add or do you want to stop here? It's completely up to you. Um, no, I, I think of anything else, really. I mean, I genuinely didn't think this would happen. Um, I mean... I I've felt the same thing in my life at times as well. So, and I've written similar kinds of pieces. So I completely understand where you're coming from. I, I thought 
uh, one of the reasons that I don't know if you remember, but I, I asked you on the podcast and you said you didn't know why I wanted you on this podcast, right? And I couldn't tell how you could write a piece like that and not understand why someone would want to chat to you about it. Because I thought you were incredibly honest. As I said, most players don't talk the way that you talk about another team, let alone that title was an incredibly honest thing to do as well. Um, but for me, I thought it was the bits that you hadn't said yet that I thought were the most interesting, right? You got yourself to that point, right? But you're still working through this, right? And that's fine. That's, that's, a, that's a brilliant place to be because you're aware and you're still incredibly full of life. There, there are so many former players who can't write this piece, right? And they can't get out the feelings that you've just got out. So you're in a better position now than you would be normally anyway. And I'd just like to, you know, thank you so much. And, you know, uh, it I loved reading the piece and it's been even better um, speaking to you about it all. So thank you very much for coming on the show. If there's anything else you want to add, even if you just want to, you know, uh, make it very, very clear to um, Mignon that you're not stalking her, feel free to add anything that you want to the end here. But as far as I'm concerned, thank you very much for coming on the show. I mean, thanks a ton for having me. I. I I I remember when you messaged me, I was like, did he read something else? I'm not quite sure um, what he wants to talk about. Because, I mean, one, I, um, I, I just thought maybe he's talking about another piece. And I was trying to think of what else I'd written about South Africa. And I was like, I've only done interviews at this point. I'm not quite sure what he wants to talk about, but okay, let's see. Um, I remember screenshotting that and sending it to my mom and saying, I think there's something wrong with this guy. because." Yeah, this just doesn't feel right. Oh, no, but, there's definitely um, something wrong I mean, with thank <laughs> Well, you know, the fact that you want to talk to me about this piece just felt like maybe something going on. But look, I thank you for, um, I guess, calling, having me on. Um, I, I really enjoyed it, first of all. I mean, I've admired what you do for a very long time um, and uh, absolutely love the podcast and the videos that you do. Um, but yeah, I think it's been, um, like I said, for me, the piece was, um, I guess, a point where I felt like I can stop feeling regret about my career. Um, I think for the longest time, especially after I officially retired, um, it was always um, watching the Indian cricket team and thinking I wanted to be there and feeling a bit like a failure. Um and I don't know if that's an an Indian thing, but um, I, I'm sure it's a thing Everywhere. across the world. But it, it it's, it's always felt like, you know, to be successful, I had to play for India. Because um, I think ever since I was 18, 19, and I would train with the boys, they would ask me, um, what are you doing? And I would say, I'm playing for the state. And I, I would think for an 18-year-old to be playing but um, list state cricket is, is a pretty big deal. I think in, in the men's game, they would make a big deal about it. And um, they would just say, oh, okay, big deal. And if there was a, a guy who was playing list day or Ranji Trophy or, sorry, um, first class cricket, they would just be like, oh my gosh, wow, this is amazing. And I remember when I walked away, I was looking back at, at my career and thinking, okay, I've played for, I don't know, 15 16 years or something like that and um, 
if there were a guy who'd done that, there would be articles everywhere. You know, mm. people would be writing about him and saying, what a great servant of the game. And I just felt like a failure because I hadn't played for India. And when when I looked at it from that angle, I was like, maybe I'm not as bad as I thought I was. And, you know, while I didn't make the step up and while I wasn't able to achieve, I guess, the ultimate dream, um, I wasn't half as bad as, as I kept telling myself. Well, there, there's so, a line from I your think, piece that really, really struck me. And I don't know if anyone's ever told you this before. And look, when you're in your 20s, things don't mean as much as, as you start to get a little bit older. But you wrote, uh, you thought of yourself as an almost, but not quite, right? And the amount of, and I mean all-time great cricketers who have said that kind of thing to me, right? Like, um, I could say this because he's passed on, but Martin Crowe talked about his career that way. Now, Martin Crowe has a very, very good argument of being one of the best 50 test batters of all time. Changed the way that white ball cricket was played. Uh, incredible captain. You know, Wasim Akram, I found a video on TikTok the other day of Wasim Akram saying he was the hardest guy I had to bowl to, was Martin Crowe. And yet Martin Crowe felt that way. And I know other cricketers almost on Martin Crowe's level all the way down who feel that way. Not everyone does. You and I both know there are some cricketers who like will tell you they're the greatest thing ever and they should get more. But most people don't feel that way. And again, there were so many little bits in your piece that I almost feel that there's more you can make of what you wrote. And I know you want to stop. And I understand the reason why that you want to stop and draw a line under it. But the truth is that, I, I, and I've said this for a long time, outside of like Tom Cruise, right? Most people feel they're an almost, but not quite, right? They feel like they're not quite at the level that they want to get to. But the truth is, had you made it and you played a couple of games for India, then you would have felt like, well, you didn't star for India or you weren't a regular player for India or whatever. There, it's Most of our life is almost but not quite. But the fact is that you're still here and you're still fighting and you've gone into other areas of the game that perhaps if you played longer, you wouldn't have been in. You wouldn't be on, if you'd have played longer and maybe even scraped a couple of games for India, you wouldn't have written that blog post and you wouldn't be on this podcast right now. And the same people that Mignon, uh, the same way that Mignon inspired you, you have the chance to inspire other people now. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's kind of, I, I guess the reason that I wrote the piece was um, I know there are a lot of people who felt very similarly. Um, and all through my career playing, I think um, there was one teammate, um, Bahar Sultana, who has played for the country, played many years for the country, um, who I think for me was the ultimate, that I wanted to be like her um, because one she was extremely successful. She was great at, at the game, but she was also one of the best teammates I have ever had um, because she'd kind of try and lift everyone around her and, and make sure that people got better and people felt safe in the environment that, that when she was captain or, or she was a senior player. And it was always about celebrating other people and building them up. Um, so for me, I guess the blog in many ways um, is a celebration of of just the people who helped lift me up. Um, and yeah, I about the, the, the almost but not quite thing, um, I guess for me that runs across um, many um, parts of my life. Um, I, I feel like I'm not quite sure where I belong. I think that's been the hardest thing for me over the last couple of years is um, 
I I used to see myself as, as a cricketer. So I was part of that group. Um, the cricketers then see me as a journalist. I am not, I'm no longer a journalist. So, you know, where am I? I, I, I feel like I'm still kind of trying to figure out where I fit. Um, and I remember feeling this during the WPL, actually, when we'd gone for this, the RCB had had like an opening event or something. And, and there were a bunch of journalists there who were, you know, hunting stories. Elise Perry, Sophie Devine, Danny Van Newkirk, Aaron Birds were all in the same room. And I was sitting in the back of the room. Um, I, I didn't, ha- I wasn't supposed to be there. I was there because a friend said, hey, why don't you come? And, and then I thought I'd meet a couple of the RCB players later. Um, and there were all these journalists with these superstars, people who'd I, who I had idolized um, standing there chasing their stories. And I was just sitting there thinking, crap, my heroes are here. And I, I don't even have the courage to say hello. Um, like, I remember Dana walked in front of me um, and she kind of very politely said, hey, how are you doing? I, w- I just froze. Um, I was like, crap. And, th- and then I sat at the very back of the hall and just wrote about what I was feeling and how insignificant I felt um, because there were one, these, these cricketers, but then there were also these journalists who knew exactly what they were doing. And I was there kind of like, what in the world am I doing here? I do not belong here. And it was, it was very strange because as that was happening, a lot of the players who I had played alongside started walking in and automatically coming up to me and, you know, but like acknowledging me. And, and then we started talking and I felt like I belonged on that side of it, um, but I wasn't on that side of it. And so, you know, where do I fit now? So I, I think that feeling of insignificance really drove a lot of, um, you know, what am I doing here? Kind of an almost, but not quite. It felt like in every, in every point, at every point, like as a cricketer, I'm, I'm no longer a journalist. So I'm not quite a journalist. So I guess, um, it feels like a theme in my life almost, but like I said, I feel like I'm coming to terms with with a lot of things and just seeing um, how can I, I guess, impact or, or make a change in, in Indian women's cricket. I feel like that's probably been um, one of the things I've been trying to do for the longest time. I remember when I, when I think reality finally dawned on me when I was like, I, you know, I'm not gonna gonna uh, make the step up was. The point I started becoming very vocal on Twitter and talking about a lot of things like match fees and, and you know, the fact that we need WPLs. I remember there was a, a thread that just went absolutely viral. And I think it was about why we need a WPL and, and professionalism and why you need to invest in, in, in the women's cricket system, especially at the domestic level. And um, it was because I'd kind of given up on that dream that I was able to start I guess, trying to drive conversations around very important things at domestic level. And I feel like um, while I wasn't able to achieve my dreams, I think it's kind of put me in a position where I can then fight the battle for the little guy, for the little guy, um, but for the domestic cricketers. And and just because I know I have an understanding of what it takes to get there. um, And I know what the, what the major gaps are in the system. And I feel like, um, with a lot of players, once they make the jump, um, especially now because they are just playing so much more, they don't quite have an understanding of 
what's happening lower down. And I guess at this point, I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to try and fight their battles. But yeah, the almost but not quite thing just feels like a, a trend in my life. So I'm trying to figure out where I actually If it makes it. you feel better, I think I felt almost but not quite. Oh, actually, I probably just felt more but not quite than I have even almost throughout <laughs> my uh, life. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks a ton for having me. It was, it's a dream come true, by the way, Jared. What, being on this show? Being on being on anything you do. Really, that's that's not almost, but not, but not quite. You've achieved. We could tick that box. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Finally a success. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Barat Sundaresan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti Saina Payan and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.